This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Zupan's is a place for tastemakers. You're going to find the best of everything at Zupan's from produce, meat, fish, um, and ready to take home uh, food as well. I had a fantastic frozen cake from Gateau, who we featured on this podcast, or we are featuring on this podcast recently. Um, and also, if you're ever at a loss for gifts, you can always find some great things for either people who love to cook or even don't at, at Zupans. That's right. And right now, you can save on Double R Ranch Prime ribeye, house-made chicken cordon bleu, uh, smoked bacon, red and green grapes, much, much more. Always a great uh, reason for you to stop by your local Zupans. And you can also make uh, arrangements for their great meals. They have a lamb and veal wine dinner coming up February 23rd. And then mark your calendars. The month of March is so the Zupan celebrates Italy all throughout March and some of the best products imported from Italy and their buyers at Zupans are fantastic. So you're going to get great olive oil, pasta, all sorts of products from Italy uh, it, all year round, but there's a lot of tasting and fun things around it in uh, March, which is a great reason to sign up for the news feed at zoopans.com. Three locations to serve you. You've got McAdam, Lake Oswego, and West Burnside. And of course, we always recommend people stay up to date where? Zoopans.com. All right, here it is. Time once again. It's Portland's Food Scene Podcast, right at the fork with your host, Chris Angeles from Portland Food Adventures. I'm co-host, Court Johnson. Pitchers and catchers reported today, Court. I saw that. That was pretty exciting as I uh, sit here just a block away from where the San Francisco Giants typically play, but they're down in Arizona, I believe, right now. Well, yeah, they're in Arizona. My team's in Florida. So, uh, yeah, I love that. You know, Super Bowl's over. One, two, three days, and pitchers and catchers, and that's mm-hmm. the way. That's the way I like it. I don't know. Did you Did you watch the Taylor Swift Bowl? I I did. I watched most of it. I had to catch a plane at some point during it, so then I ended up catching the tail end of it, the thrilling, disappointing end for San Francisco, um, in the airport. So, um, yeah, I watched it. Yeah, it was. I don't watch football anymore, but I watched that game. Yeah, I think so, I think everybody kind of poked their head in. If you watched the game at the beginning, it was much different at the beginning than it was at the end. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was a good game. Yeah. Um. So, but I'm excited that baseball's here. It doesn't look like it outside, but at least it 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 offers us promise and hope. So even those listening who could care less about baseball, what it means is spring is right around the corner, and everybody yep. does care about sunlight. So, oh yeah. Uh, so yeah. In fact, I saw Chris the other day that we the sun will no longer be setting before six p.m. until November. So that to me was awesome. Well, oh, you mean as of today? Yeah, as of like sometime this week. All so. right, and then in a few weeks we we change the clocks again. Right. So that'll be good. We get, we an get hour even out. more. So looking mm-hmm. forward to that. So anybody who's looking forward to sunlight, sunlight, we do offer an opportunity for that. 
with my Portland Food Adventures tours with Urdaneta to both Basque Country and Southern Spain. Take a look on portlandfoodadventures.com. We have room. Um, we got two more spots um, on one of the trips and a few on the other. And we're also going to Sardinia, which is awesome. Two more spots for that trip, too, um, in the fall. So take a look at those. They are fantastic trips. We're going on our ninth year of hosting trips with Portland chefs and artisans and so forth. And um, they're pretty cool. Public service announcement. Thank you for indulging me, everyone. And now we're going to indulge you on a great interview with Lindsay Gott of Gateau, whom we met th through our friend Heather Jones, oh, nice. who is the originator of this podcast, in fact. So without Heather, we all wouldn't be here. So um, she's still helping us along with great guests. And Lindsay, I really enjoyed this interview with Lindsay. So her product, Gateau products, um, are available in Zupans. We always love to highlight a product that's available in Zupans and other markets, too, um, as well in Portland. You know, your new seasons and your market of choice and some others. And she's available. They're available throughout the Northwest. They're delicious frozen uh, baked goods. I happen to have a chocolate uh, cake with vanilla glazed icing this weekend with friends and enjoyed it immensely. But I, more so, I enjoyed our conversation. Well, just as much so. I enjoyed um, my conversation with Lindsay a few days ago. She's a, operating from Hood River, Oregon, and um, has a really interesting background starting, you know, she has a similar background to mine, bigger company though, um, in the advertising industry on the account side for years, and then made her way into the food business by going to culinary school in Paris, and then working at great restaurants, including Chez Panisse in San Francisco, or the Bay Area, I'm sorry. Um, uh, and then uh, made her way, as many do, from the Bay Area to Oregon. Love brought her here. And uh, then she started selling some great pastries and so forth at the farmer's market. Went on from there, opened a... Um, well, listen, these are all spoilers. <laughs> You're telling her story. Yeah, I'm telling the whole story. But it's a great story, and we talk a lot about the process of bringing a product like that to markets and you know she's in the pacific northwest and has um has her sights set on going larger so um you know this will be one of those uh we knew her when interviews um you know we've got quite a few products that we've seen we've seen salt and straw go on to big things and ruby jewel go on to big things all of these folks have been on the podcast and we're Really happy to have had the opportunity to have Lindsay. I really liked her. It went easy. And another highlight is that Lindsay is giving us her favorite places to go in Hood River. So anybody going up there at any time, you know, I've been a, I've been a one trick pony up there, generally speaking. I've been a few places, but I go up for double mountain pizza and beer, yep. which she said was great and occasional other places like Broder. But she's been there for 20 years and she's been in the food scene. And she mentioned a lot of places, including wineries that I wasn't aware of. I think there's over a dozen that she mentioned. So stay in. 
stay tuned as we get towards the end. The last part of the podcast is Lindsay talking about her favorite places in Hood River, and that's that's exciting to me. I love when we can offer those up to people. It's uh, it's uh, good for everybody who likes to eat and travel a little yep. bit. Day trips. So let's do it. Lindsay got. Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupan's and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers and local chefs know that Zupan's is the place to find the very best Northwest Bounty in Portland. West Burnside, McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years. Zupan's Markets. Ringside Steakhouse. For over 78 years, Ringside has been providing the best steaks and has been the home of the beacon of great hospitality in Portland. Make a reservation today at ringsidesteakhouse.com. And while you're there, sign up for their mailing list to be the first to find out about exciting specials and events going on at Portland's beloved Hallmark restaurant, Ringside Steakhouse. And by Portland Food Adventures. It's your opportunity to travel to the world's most celebrated food destinations with Right at the Fork host, Chris Angeles, and some of his favorite chef friends. Check out PortlandFoodAdventures.com for exciting and delicious itineraries to Spain, Italy, and elsewhere. Stay in great hotels, eat incredible food, and leave the planning to Portland Food Adventures. All right. Hi, Lindsay, again. Hi. You sound great. You look great. And this is a great day. And uh, looking forward to talking to you about your gateau brand and your life. What got you to Hood River making bacon cakes and getting them into grocery store shelves? That's I, I find that uh, a fascinating story. And I particularly respect you for doing it from hood river and not from portland everybody needs to be in portland you found a way to get somewhere else close by <laughs> so far it's true i um it makes it adds another layer but it also um i get the hit of being close to nature and you know when i need it to kind of relax after you know a lot of a hard day it's um every day is a fun challenge <laughs> so i'll say and i don't uh it's it's been so fun actually to create a product. I have had you know brick and mortar businesses, food businesses, and um, those were awesome challenges too, <laughs> really fun. But I really wanted to create a product, and so here I am, and it it just feels pretty awesome. But it does add an extra layer being in Hood River. Is it is the timing a little serendipitous, or was it planned? Because we all know it's very difficult now to run a brick and mortar business wherever you may be. And yeah. I think what you're doing may be, you know, the timing may be good for that, especially since, oh my God, your product is meant to provide the, maybe the restaurant experience dessert or even, you know, morning at home with the, with yeah. the type of ingredients one might get from, you know, the best, best chefs, best restaurants. So. Yeah, I think we've had a really great moment here, which was, you know, not planned. Nobody plans for COVID, right? Um, but I, we, <laughs> I'll back up a little bit and just say, I knew I wanted to have this, a product, a company, a brand. And um, 
I wasn't sure exactly how to get there. And so I, I knew my next step, which was to put a little kitchen in my garage. Sounds very Steve Jobs like, right? <laughs> but it wasn't. It was just like, okay, I know I need a kitchen. So I had this space down in my garage and I installed um, a licensed kitchen down there and just started experimenting. But I always really liked the idea, even when I had my brick and mortar business, I had a, a gourmet delicatessen out here in Hood River called South Bank Kitchen. And even during that, my ethos with the whole thing really and my approach was about making really excellent food accessible and easy to get to for everybody. So in that sense of like, my tagline was make every day delicious. And it, I still feel that way. And I think it still kind of comes through in this product. I know we're the, the idea is have something kind of patisserie quality, I would call it in your home, you know, and something that you don't necessarily have to go out for or spend a lot of time making, you know, you can just kind of pop it in the oven and, you know, sort of, voila, there it is. <laughs> something really, really, especially tasty. Um, and, you know, there's a long backstory of kind of how I got to that moment, like, oh, this is the product I want to create, um, which we can get into. But, but yeah, it's, um, it was sort of a dream. And so I, I opened this little kitchen and it was done February, 2020. <laughs> and my original plan was to kind of go in and start with food service and have these local cafes and restaurants, you know, kind of be a virtual pastry chef in a way to people. And then COVID hit and it was like, well, there's no way anyone's going to take on a program like that right now. People are just trying to stay open, you know? So, so I went the farmer's market route and um, I was sort of paralyzed. I was like, Oh my God, what do I do? And this friend of mine who owns a restaurant locally, she's like, why don't you just go to the farmer's market? I was like, Oh, duh. So we went to the farmer's market and, you know, we were really lucky. People just started lining up and I actually started making things like quiche and stuff because people just, really wanted food you know and good food they didn't have to make um all the time so that really launched us and it was this great experimental um time to kind of put a lot of products in front of people on a weekly basis and just kind of see what they responded to and whether or not i was talking to myself around this ready to bake idea or whether people really liked that and it turns out they did so we experimented with a lot of things. I was doing galettes and cinnamon rolls and scones and all kinds of things that you could bake from frozen. And one day, I honestly cannot remember the day, but one day I thought, well, I wonder if you could do this with cake because I love cake. Um, so yeah, I, I don't remember the exact day or how it happened, but I experimented. And the first day we brought them to the market, they sold out and I thought, okay, we might have something here. Um, and were they and were and, they all frozen then at the market too? Yeah. yeah. So I would bring them to the market frozen in these coolers. I had these stacks of coolers and then I would bake them off for people to see what it looked like um, mm -hmm. and see how well it worked as sort of as a proof positive. And so at the end of the market, we'd sell off the baked goods that we had on display. But yeah, we were selling it all frozen. And so people kind of come to me at the end of the market when they were done with their shopping and, you know, put their frozen thing and go home. <laughs> but it worked. Very nice. You know, the thing that come there's a lot to talk about with regard yeah. to uh, doing that and getting out there in the market. But I would imagine there were plenty of people who were very willing to tell you what you should do. Right? Did oh, yeah. you find that? Yeah. So that's that's what I've <laughs> lots always found of, is interesting. Lots of <laughs> and I have learned 
I really have learned to try not to use the word should and need, especially to entrepreneurs, because they got to figure their stuff out. And there's no way most people know better than you as you go. Yes, occasionally a suggestion is great that, that hits, but I think 98 out of 100 of them are things you don't want to hear or that you've thought about and think that's not viable. Did, did that frustrate you? Frustrate is the wrong word. I think it challenged me, you know, um, because I am sort of a people pleaser and I, there have been times when I haven't trusted myself. Um, but all of the times that I did trust myself, things have worked out for the best. And so I did have a moment, you kind of got right into this. Yeah, you hit on something important for me. I got this moment and actually it was around the name. So I was trying to figure out which product to launch with, you know, because I knew I wanted to have a, a branded product. And there's a lot of investment that goes into that, right? This is mm-hmm. packaging and you have to kind of focus when you start a business. You can't have six products that you launch with, much as I would love to do that. So when I decided on cakes, I different I had a different name for the um, the business when I was at the farmer's market. And I was really thinking I needed to change the name because I wanted it to seem a little bit more elevated and it felt important to me personally to kind of bring in my French training into the product a little bit. And so I really wanted this name Gateau and I can't tell you how many people are like, Oh, don't do that. We love this name, blah, blah, blah. You know, just unsolicited advice. So plentiful <laughs> everywhere, just like you're suggesting. And I actually look at the name now and remind myself that it was a moment where I trusted myself and thought, no, this feels like the right thing to do and I'm going to do it. And so I love looking at it now, thinking about that and reminding myself that, you know, it was a moment where you kind of have to believe in yourself and what your vision is. So that's where we land. That's how we landed with Gato. Well, and it's difficult to have, you know, you, you end up relying on friends and family for, to bounce things off of, but people you don't know. I mean, they are the market. There are large package, package goods companies that do intense focus groups and intense research, but you got a small product and it's coming from the heart. And if it's going to work from the heart, I believe it's got to come from the heart of the founder and the producer every day. I think so. you're right. And, you know, I had that perspective because I started out my career in advertising, you know, so I used to work for Clorox, you know, and Levi's, like things are like big marketers who have a very particular process or right around focus groups, like you say, all that. And so I had that in the back of my mind, like, oh, this is a good idea. And sometimes it's, you know, too much, you know. So it was a moment where I thought, no, I'm going to, I'm going to do what my instinct tells me here and, um, and jump in with that. So... (laughs) All right. So working on a brand like Clorox, you couldn't find a more, at least sounding like a more mundane brand, right? The the object is just sell it for laundry or whatever uses it has. And did so I guess talk a little bit about your advertising days because I had mine too. Oh, did you? Yeah. And I had my advertising days, lots of them. And um, I'd never worked on a brand like Clorox. I worked on brands like Champagne, right? Uh-huh. And Bank of Boston and Arnold Bread, which was the sister brand to Aura Wheat out here. Oh, and cool. So I learned a lot there. So, but what did you, what was it about Clorox or, 
you know, you mentioned that wasn't your only brand, but what was it about your career? Were you on the, what side were you on? Were you on the- I was on the uh, account side, so account okay. management. So you straddle, as you know, between the creatives and the client. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to please both of them, which is really difficult. But um, you also get to work on, at the time, it was called planning, you know, and this was sort of strategic kind of research and marketing uh, through a lot of qualitative research, like you were saying. And I found that really fascinating. So at the end of my, you know, stint in advertising before I went to cooking school, that's what I morphed into as something more of a planner um, because I just found it really fascinating to kind of figure out um, creative ways to um, express strategy, you know, in brands. Even with Clorox. See, that's the Even thing. Even with I, Clorox. Yeah. <laughs> well, They're very good. strategic. Their execution is kind of very direct sometimes, but yep. they are very strategic about their messaging. Um, it's just not quite as creative. I got into some right. other brands that are more creative, you know, like when we were on Levi's and stuff, that was fun. But we, I, yeah, we went, I went straight into a, um, a big agency at the time called Foot Cone and Belding. Oh, that was where my father, my father was on Park Avenue at Foot Cone and Belding. He actually put them in the Pan Am building years ago. Oh, cool. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I was in the San Francisco office and I just, I loved that experience because I, first of all, I had a great mentor. I just had a great boss, which is such a rare thing in your first, you know, big job. And um, he was just an excellent, excellent person. And so I learned a ton, even working on Clorox, you know, it was just like, you learned a ton about process and um, strategy and numbers and, you know, and also more about bleach than you would ever want to (laughs) know. That's see, that's my point. I guess I'm kind of skirting around the issue, but did you ever get to the point where you said, I just don't care. Uh, it's bleach. And so, cause that's, that's where I go pretty quickly on those kind of things, but yeah. There so, were those moments. But you learned a lot. And so the same thing, the things yeah. I hated most in my career are the things that I probably was able to use and right. build something new and draw from those things. That's right. So it was a really I'm sure you did. Experience. Yeah, yeah I'm it was sure very practical. You did. And it took me in a lot of, you know, directions. Although, you know, I and there was a woman there at the agency who had gone to cooking school. And so I got that idea in my head. And she went back to advertising and just kind of threw excellent dinner parties, which was like great for her. But I went into it thinking I was not sure I was going to come back. Um, and so I tried to leave the door open, but I it just, you know, I just, once I knew I couldn't go back. You know? And what was your first step out? What was your first step into? Um, after cooking school? Well, no. So you went, yes, after cooking school. Yeah, so I so I went to the Cordon Bleu in Paris, and they had a one-year program, whereas a lot of cooking schools in America are a two-year program. So what I decided is that I would do an intensive one-year program there, do an internship in France, and then come back and do an extended internship in the U.S., and that worked out great. So I landed at Chez Panisse um, in Berkeley, which was oh, that's fantastic. All? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good place yeah. to land to, to do what yeah, you wanted to do. It was. It was great because it really, um, you know, it was a very different approach in some ways in France to cooking. Um, but the getting the American kind of farm to table, like just working in the kitchen at Chez Panisse is quite an experience, you know, because you, you first of all, you're seeing the produce come in the door. That's just uh, top notch. Like you just, it's incomparable. Um, and the cooks that work there are all really committed really cool people. 
Um, I enjoyed working for all of them. And it wasn't that environment that you hear in some really, um, you know, high end restaurants where like plates are being thrown in the back. It wasn't like that at all. It was very, um, very sort of chill (laughs) for California. It was great. And, you know, when you're running a restaurant and you know you're going to be sold out every single night, it's a very different operation, isn't it? So, you know, they had four chefs you know, running two upstairs in the cafe and two downstairs. And it just made for a very pleasant experience for everyone. Very, um, not there were no stressors, but it just, it just changed the vibe of the entire place, you know, cause there was just less stress around. It relieves financial that. pressure when you know you're going to be sold out every night. So you don't have 100%. to, you don't have to figure that end of it out. That's yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. And the creativity, you know, people were coming there for whatever the chefs wanted to do. So it was really, you know, within the ethos of Chez Panisse. So it was a pretty cool experience. Are you um, still in touch with the, some of the folks that you were working no. with? Then? No, not really at all. I was sort of the intern, you know, so people treated me really well, but I didn't stay long. I decided afterwards that I didn't want to, in spite of being in one of the best restaurant environments you can imagine, it, it made me realize too, that's like, okay, I don't want to be in restaurants. Um, and I sort of suspected that going into cooking school anyway. So, so yeah, I, um, I went in a different tack. I ended up, I had this entrepreneur streak in me was um, wrong. So I started a business doing cooking parties with somebody who I met when I was teaching cooking. Um, <laughs> I was doing a little teaching on the side, which I really loved actually. Um, so we, we did a whole company doing cooking parties where we'd teach people how to cook. This was like as the dot-com boom was taking off in San Francisco. So we were, they were looking for entertainment for their employees. So we would go into people's homes, these mansions, you know, down in the South Bay and do mm-hmm. cooking parties with like 30 people. So it was like catering with amateurs who were drinking. It was amazing. Right. <laughs> and so we would bring in all the equipment, all the ingredients. And then we'd bring people into groups, they'd cook um, one of the courses, and then they would sit down and enjoy their meal, and we would you know, clean up and serve and all that. So it was a hell of a lot of work, but it was fun. <laughs> and how, ma- how, often, how many of those did you do a week or a month? Oh, gosh. Well, we could really only pull off um, about one, you know, one on a weekend. Um, That's what I thought. Yeah. Um, sometimes two. But then I left the business pretty early and moved up to Hood River. So I was um, I was in love with a guy who had a home up here, and he wanted to try living here. So I was like, okay. And I was kind of ready. The dot com bomb, the dot com bomb is what I would call it. But you know, it was it was it got to the point where you couldn't get into any restaurants, and you know, there were twenty two year olds with the CEO title driving around in Porsches. It was just getting weird. So it was time to leave the city, I guess. Um, I do miss it sometimes, but I, I don't regret being able to move up here and. And being in a quieter place, but also close to a city. Um, well, it also sounds like uh, it was about twenty years ago, right? Somewhere in the yeah. neighborhood. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, and how would you describe Hood River then versus Hood River now? And I guess I could, if you spent time yeah. in Portland, maybe your impressions of that city too. Yeah, um, I don't. I'm not as close to um, the changes in Portland, but I'll say in Hood River. I mean, there have been obvious changes financially. You know, the city is starting to take off in this town and really feel like a destination kind of place. Um, politically, that creates some issues here around, like, um, livability. Uh, we've got some, some big issues around affordable housing and stuff, which Portland shares. Um, and, you know, I 
I never thought I'd be this person because I was such a city girl when I moved here, but I really enjoy like driving up to my house and parking in front of my house, <laughs> little things like that. But downtown, you know, during the summer, we just get this influx of people. Um, so it can feel a little like you're being invaded a little um, during the summer. But I also love the energy of it and kind of seeing lots of new people coming through and seeing more diversity and all that. You know, I kind of I vibe on it. I think it's pretty cool. Um, but there's some things like, you know, you literally can't park at the waterfront now without paying for parking. And for people who have lived here for a long time, that's and who want access to the river, that's a big shift so little things like that you know we're, and the people who've lived there for things. a long time are less amenable to change yeah. too so they're yeah. the ones who are complaining um you know and, and i think everybody has to realize in towns like that and i live in one manzanita yeah um, but we don't have to pay for parking thank god right. I, I have to battle <laughs> sprinters to get us parking spot by yes. the beach but there's yes. that but i think you have to realize when you live in a town like that as much of a, a total nuisance it is and it's you need the economic uh activity to sustain sure. through a winter the winters are tough enough so you need you need something to sustain you annually for sure so when i had my brick and mortar business you know we used to do just for perspective it used to be so when i first moved here the restaurants were closed in the winter that's mm. how slow it was that's very different now we have much more vibrant shoulder seasons and even the winter here is you know the businesses are thriving pretty well. It's still a big difference in the summer, but it's sustainable now for them. Whereas restaurants would just close down. <laughs> and so one of the things, you know, I not, when I had my brick and mortars, we would do about 50% of our revenue in August one the month. whole year. Yeah. So, you know, talk about challenges for restaurants and stuff here. Like how do you keep the staff? You know, you're retraining all the time and then letting go. And it's just, you know, and where do the yeah, staff we, live? That's, yeah, that's and now that's the big issue. It wasn't as much right. then, but now it is. It, it's a really big issue. Yeah. Right. So, and where do you see it going as long as we're on the topic? In the next yeah. five or ten years, are you that involved in the local politics and government to know you know where this can go? Because let's let's face it, people are moving out of cities now. For sure. Um, and they're moving to places of- like Hood River because they can, because they're working yeah. remotely. And so it's really taxing the system, no pun intended, I guess. But yeah, it, it's, not really, challenging. it's I, really challenging. It's really challenging these little cities or little towns. It is. It is. Yeah. And I think the, um, some of the leaders in the city, a lot of the leaders in the city are right before the pandemic hit. There was a there was an Airbnb um issue and rents were so high and there was so little on the market. And so there was some, um, there was an effort to try and curb Airbnb and also not hollowing out neighborhoods here, you know, like a lot of the houses would just be sort of dead during the winter or close. Or then you come in and there are people partying. And so it was just the neighborhood, it was really affecting neighborhoods and also the um, pressure on the rental market. So they instituted some, uh, restrictions on uh, what could be short-term rentals and where they could be mm-hmm. um, and are trying to increase urban density here and that kind of thing. So it's, it's helped a lot. And then the t- pandemic hit, I was like, Oh, things are really listening up. I could tell. And mm. then the pandemic hit and you know, there's an influx of people wanting to come out and live in hood river. And, and that's great. It's just that it, it has to be um, 
<laughs> we're just trying so hard to keep it livable for people. You know, it, right. being tapped into the restaurant community here, a lot of people are now even having to house their restaurant staff, you know, just find a house, you know, and rent out rooms to them and do whatever they can to try and support people trying to live here. Um, I would never be able to afford to live here if I hadn't, you know, gotten in early. So I feel very lucky for that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's changing. And I, I, I would say, if you asked me to project, I would say, and a lot of people here think that, you know, we're headed in the Aspen direction, not quite that, you know, extreme, but we are definitely a resort town at this point and um, having some, of a lot of the challenges that they do. Well, know, and it, I think you have one leg up in that you're not relying on figuring out Hood River for your business. You you operate that's there, right. but that's you've right. got a market outside of Hood River, and I think that's uh, that's yeah. important. So let's talk about how you got from making cakes and quiche at the farmer's market to, <laughs> you know, being able to pick up. I thought it was awesome. I was in Zupan's the other night. You got four, four products, I believe, in Zupan's yeah. that I saw. And we, we just to preface this, we, I, I grabbed one of your petite chocolate cakes with vanilla. What is cream it? Cream vanilla? vanilla bean. Cream cheese vanilla bean frosting, Icing. which was delicious yeah. and wonderful. And for me, easy to make. I had friends over and, um, we just split one of those and it was absolutely delicious. And, uh, you know, well, we love Zupans hey. here on this podcast and I personally do. So to see well, you I in there too. means a lot. Yeah. Well, I know yeah. you must. Well, <laughs> so how did you, how do you go about as this, you know, when you started making your product, how do you go about getting in? Well, how do you sell the stores on carrying you? Well, I'll tell you, it's um, a process. I, and it's one that I have to say there are um, a couple of organizations uh, locally who are really determined um, to help small entrepreneurs like myself in the food world and build up the food business in the Portland area. So um, Oregon Angel Food Network was, I started going to some of their events and just kind of trying to tap into what it would take to get in front of buyers. And they were instrumental. And so my first one of my first um, meetings with them, I talked to John Boyle at Market of Choice, who is a great advocate for local um, makers. And he sort of helped me, um, he helped validate my concept um, just in a quick, I had a little five minute window with him, a little pitch, and he helped me validate this idea because a lot of the trend in food has been over the last five to 10 years in the, what I call the free realm, <laughs> dairy free, gluten free, you know, free, free, free. And my only free is deprivation free. <laughs> so I'm really an indulgent product. And I'm proud of that. I, it, I think in the right amount of indulgence, um, if you can tolerate it physically is just great. You know, if you have issues that are, you know, you can't eat dairy or wheat, that's a whole different thing. But, you know, I think that there's a lot to be said for authentic flavor um, um, in moderation, and I'm all for it. And so John helped validate that concept for me. And so I learned through that organization about the Good Food Foundation, which is a um, foundation that you um, you have to um, apply to to be um, part of the foundation. You have to meet certain requirements of authenticity, quality, um, that kind of thing. And then once you're a part of the foundation, you're able to participate in the Good Food Mercantile, which is a um, local trade show. 
So it's a much smaller scale than some of the big trade shows that happens in San Francisco, Portland, and New York City. And those have been um, uh, on pause from COVID. Um, And then the first one that was uh, coming back on was in uh, Portland in April 2022. So I decided that was my big moment. And I was going to go into the mercantile and, and see what buyers thought of this product. And I did, and um, I can't recommend it more highly. It really got us in front of all, you know, great buyers from Portland um, specialty markets go there and they're engaged and they're interested and you have an opportunity to talk to them directly. So that's really what got us in front of buyers. And then from there, it's really just a follow-up process over and over. For example, Zupans, you know, we met them first at the Good Food Mercantile and were able to connect with them afterwards and just had a great working relationship from day one with them. And you have to think about it as a, an ongoing relationship, which is really difficult because when you're just starting out, you just want to make sure you can get some sales, right? And get a new right. account. You're, you're not looking ahead no. to, it's no. kind of like, I always say we were all looking to the year 2000, but whoever thought of 2024. So, you know, yeah. you got to go 100%. beyond that. <laughs> yeah. You really do have to look at it in the long term and think of it as um, a partnership. And that uh, mindset and me knowing that, kind of really upfront, really helped um, my approach. And it's my natural approach anyway, just from my advertising days, I was always the relationship person that, you know, wanting to have personal relationships with uh, my clients and everybody. So it, it's a natural fit for me, but it's kind of, um, it's critical for um, selling into use. And it's just really fun, hard to get in front of them. But once you do, and you make the right impression, and you under, you help them understand that you're there for their growth as much as your own, then it starts to work. Well, I want to take a uh, a break for a commercial message, but when we come back with Lindsay Gott, I would love to talk about a little bit more about the process. Like, I, I wonder what comes yeah. first, the packaging or the sale? Like, Ooh, can, yeah. can you, you know, can you, can you kind of wing it and say, oh, no, no, I'll have the packaging. I'll show it to you. Or, you know, do you have to invest in that kind of thing first and hope? Let's talk about that when we come back after this message. Pausing just a moment here, Chris, to talk about one of our favorite places to eat in Portland, an institution, it's Ringside Steakhouse. I don't know if they've hit 80 years yet or... Oh, they have. Coming up on it, yes. Over 80 years. Right. Over 80 years. You tell me, what else is there? We won't even mention another restaurant. It's Ringside's time, but nobody does service like Ringside. And, you know, when you're around for 80 years, you have gone through all the trends over the years, and Mm -hmm. you've gone through a burgeoning food scene where there's every shiny new thing going on, and you're still one of the favorite places to go in Portland ringside on West Burnside. They've got a lot of cool things going on. Of course, they're famous onion rings and the best steaks you can possibly imagine. But also, um, I understand they have some great non-alcoholic beverages available in the bar or in the restaurant. I don't know if you've ever, anybody's ever met Jimmy there, but he's been uh, in the bar for years and he'll make you a fantastic uh, non-alcoholic beverage. You can order three dots and a wink or maybe even a sacred Emily. And you can go to the website ringsidesteakhouse.com to check out what that's all about. Also, don't forget every single Monday night, it's Prime Rib Monday, a three-course dinner where you get mixed greens to start. You get your prime rib that comes along with horseradish and Yorkshire pudding. 
And then, of course, you top all of that off with the creme brulee. Can't be beat every Monday night. That's a good deal. And a good deal also is to get some ringside merchandise. That is pretty cool. You can have, they give hats, t-shirts, and what I think everybody, every home cook should have is a, or every home person who likes, loves to grill. Yeah. A ringside apron. It looks really cool. Go to the website and check that out. I'm actually imagining myself this summer out on the back deck with my ringside steakhouse apron on while grilling up my own steaks. Right. And everybody's going to think you're an expert at, on the grill right off the bat. Right. So you got to prove yourself. Yep. You can make reservations for your next visit to Ringside Steakhouse on their website, which is ringsidesteakhouse.com, or you can use the Open Table app. Okay, we're back with Lindsay Gott. Uh, she is the chef owner of Gateau. And uh, we're at a pretty cool period in your career where all of a sudden you can go and look at this product that you loved, you know, you loved naming it and developing it. And there it is behind freezer doors in grocery stores. <laughs> That's got to be pretty exciting. It was. It was a real thrill, I have to say. I um, We were just talking about the Good Food Mercantile when it first got in front of buyers and I, it was one of those moments where you just feel like, oh my gosh, I just threw a great party. People really had fun. <laughs> you know? It was like feeling like the bell of the ball a little bit when people were validating my product, really inter- genuinely interested in, in it. And then then getting in onto the actual shelf. So to answer your question, um, I there certainly is a process around investment in packaging and it's a big leap because packaging is absolutely critical and there really is no way around that (laughs) and i know i sound very severe when i say that but it's true well it's also coming from someone who had great experience in packaged goods too that's true that's true yeah packaging really because and even myself i catch myself walking into a grocery store and looking for my product and and it's a moment you think oh my god i'm one in thousands of products here you know and Mm -hmm. you get you get all into your own story and what you're doing and it's your whole world you know so you think it's everyone else's world too and it's so not so packaging is your best um your best first impression i mean it's just cliche but it's true and And someone wandering down the freezer aisle like you want them to kind of just have a second glance at you well, and you've got you've also got kind of small packaging too, where there's yes. some larger packaging. You know, it's funny because I don't know if you must be. I'm going to guess, and I could be wrong, but you must be someone who watches Shark Tank, right? Having done <laughs> it's what you've funny done. you say that. Okay, here's my answer to Shark Tank: is that it stresses me out so much. I actually don't watch it. It's kind of like food shows. Like people love, oh, you must love cooking shows. I'm like, no, because as a, I don't know if other cooks feel this way, but as a cook, like it just it just rouses me. I only can think about is like being on the line and being in stress, you know, in that moment, like I, that's not relaxing for me. Well, and the <laughs> cooking shows are meant to create stress. The yes. whole thing. It's yes. not, a, it, this is not the galloping gourmet any longer or no. Julia Child. Just, this is create something. It's yeah. impossible for people to do. So it's worth watching, but on shark tank, I, you hear yeah. all the time and you know, I guess they've become pretty good at what they do, but those people are not food experts at all. Not one of them really came from a food background that I know of, but they're pretty quickly. I mean, there's the guy who does the, the 
kind candy bars, I guess he does those, or not yeah. candy bars, health bars. But bars. they are pretty quick to judge packaging on that show. Yeah. They're very yes. quick to say this works or this doesn't. And, you know, that's why, that's why package goods companies and ad agencies have focus groups because you got to find out what the market wants too. However, some extremely wealthy billionaire telling you what to do is not necessarily the market all the time either. So, well, it's just not pleasant. <laughs> it's any billionaire telling you what to do. And you're in this tiny, small, you know, microcosm in your world. But for, I would say for, to your point, you mentioned having a small package and we launched with a large cake. So we mm -hmm. decided to draft off well, the easiest way for people to understand this product um, from a ready to bake perspective, like, cause we're the only ones out there doing this pretty much. So it's like, what is this product? How are people going to understand it? So we decided to draft off our frozen pies and that was our closest, you know, relative, our closest cousin. So we wanted to create, um, a bigger package so people would understand how to use it. And also it turned out to be a great choice for shelf space because when you have three SKUs and they're that size, you take up a whole shelf in the freezer, which is also mm -hmm. important, you know, just kind of getting your elbow room in there. Well, and so I, I understand that's a challenge in and of itself though, is getting. Kind of, yeah, it <laughs> is. But we thought our best way to do that for buyers and for consumers would be to um, create a larger product. But what we found really quickly um, is that people were saying to us when we go into stores and demo, which is a really important part of getting your, your brand awareness out there and getting people to try it, which is a great opportunity for them to actually sample the cake and see if they like it. Um, people are like, oh, I don't want to have a big cake in my house or I'll wait until, you know, Uncle Jimmy's birthday, you know, to buy one. And from a buyer's perspective, they don't like that. They want what they call sales velocity, which is the number of cases you can sell you know, per week per store, that's how you're being judged. And so it was a killing two birds with one stone to introduce a smaller product, um, what we're calling petites, because one, it's a really small indulgence. It's an easy way for people to have cake just on an everyday basis. Like, oh, I feel like some cake or I want to invite a girlfriend over and have some tea or, you mm -hmm. know, I'm going to take this to my potluck or whatever. Um, it's a really more accessible size. Um, and you won't have a cake sitting around for, you know, many days. Some people just don't like the idea of that. Now, if you have an occasion, we do have this larger size, but these petites are really are what people are excited about it, but it reduces our size on shelf. So there are all these factors, you know, to consider when you're doing these things, but we took a leap and to your earlier point, we invested in custom packaging. So when you first start, you're, you're kind of experimenting. And so what you do is you try and find what they call stock packaging that will work for you um, and will be noticeable on shelf. So we did a stock cake box with a window, which a lot of people recognize kind of pies mm -hmm. are in, and then wrapped a label around it called a belly band, wrapped a label around it to try and make it feel more custom. And so that was our way into the packaging game to see whether the concept would fly and then when we realized petites were something people, the buyers were super excited about. So the next year at Mercantile, I did a mock-up box. You can just get someone literally to, you know, print out a mock-up, design it, but print it out. And you literally cut and paste it into what it looks like a box and show that at the trade show. And when people were really excited about the petites, that's when we made their big investment in packaging. And, you know, to do a custom box, it's a 10,000 box minimum. So it's a huge commitment. You know, right. both from a design perspective and printing. 
So you want to make sure your concept is right. So I think we took the right steps there. Does Do your buyers uh, assist you at all? Do they make suggestions on what might work better? I mean, they have experience. And it is interesting to go down that road to think that every after everything you've gone through, every single product you see in a store has gone through similar Yes similar yes. process it's it's, it's like walking crazy. down the halls of trauma <laughs> right. you just can imagine what everyone has been through in this and it is it's a it's um you really are every day feels like a, a creative fire you're putting you know either something creative you have to pull out of somewhere and then or putting out a fire you know or a mistake you made or something you need to adjust to or something so you know, not to be too dramatic, like it's also a privilege, right? Like I get to do this and I, I feel that every day. I really do. I'm like, wow, I get to do something that I really, that's creative and I, I want to do as hard as that, it is sometimes. That has to contribute to your success. And I was going to ask you, how. so your product, the baseline is your product has to be good. And otherwise, it's not getting on the shelves. There's no doubt. Well, you'd about be that. surprised what's on the shelf that is really awful. <laughs> right, but if you're at a place like Zupans or you know, for sure, those places they're pretty discerning. They're not. So you got to be good. But I'm curious. You don't have a definitive answer to this, but you're a really outgoing, pleasant person. How much of the success of the business do you think? is attributable to you and that people, you said this before that you, you're a people person that people like you and they want to carry your product. I think that's a big part of it. I think if you were the cake Nazi, it would be (laughs) much more difficult. Am I right? Or am I wrong there based on what your, your experience? Well, uh, first of all, thank you. That's flattering. I, um, I do think that one of the, one of the strengths I bring is wanting to be in front of customers, truly wanting to give them something they really would love. And I believe that in my heart that the, the product that we've created will do that. So it's, it's kind of easy for me to sell it because I really believe in it. I also am, I'm, I'm a weird combination of sort of extroverted and introverted, right? But when I, I get very extroverted when I talk about my product and when I feel like I'm in front of customers and I can understand their needs and just kind of get to know them. I love that. And so I think that has certainly contributed because I will, I look forward to demos in stores when, if I have enough time, which I don't, <laughs> I, well, I love to go into stores and do demos because I get to talk to people and see what they want and see. And that has truly helped us craft our product, you know, especially the petites that was all come from, you know, customer interaction. So it's such a learning ground. If you listen, people will tell you what they want. You just have to be willing to listen, you know, and really willing to, you know, and, and kind of meld it with what your vision is. But it, people will really tell you if you let them. And so I, well, you, I love that interaction. Well, and you have to take a little bit from everybody. You can't. Yes. No gonna be people will also tell you the weirdest things. <laughs> Sometimes demos are an opportunity for people to just. Also, people will tell you things like, oh, this tastes like my grandmother's almond cake. I get a lot of Europeans who come up for our almond cake and say, oh, this is so hard to find in America. And that's one of the reasons I put that on our our list of flavors, because it's, um, you know, like an almond tort is just something that's pretty ubiquitous in Western Europe. And it's um, 
it's just a winner. So I want to really bring that to America. But that's a side note. <laughs> well, no, and it's an important note because if it's been in, if it's a big thing in Western Europe, chances are it's been enjoyed for for maybe centuries. And so, yes, there's you a know, reason why it's we don't have there. centuries <laughs> of experience here. If you, you know, I often I love that show, The Food That Built America, and it really makes mm. you think that it wasn't long ago that. All these products didn't even exist, and even refrigeration wasn't there. So I know it's incredible. Yeah, we have a very short history, and I think it's easy to take things for granted too. We do, we do, and I'm certainly drawn to the more European style. I mean, that's true for me with wines too. (laughs) Um, So I, yeah, I, and I just wanted to bring, you know, obviously we're not doing cakes that. you would find necessarily sitting in a case in a patisserie in France. Like that's not, that's not what I'm about. I don't think that that's replicable in a convenient way, but we're bringing the authenticity of that flavor, the approach to it, the technique, and just the, um, the approach of high quality ingredients. So it's, you know, that's why we're butter based, which is a challenge. You know, I understand why people put a lot of palm oil in their products because it's consistent. Um, but it's, I just, I can't stand the idea of using that, especially the way it's being harvested and all this, but, but the flavor, it's like, I, I just love butter. I think that's what it comes yeah, down to. Yeah, there's nothing better than butter. And there's nothing, <laughs> I mean, listen, really. <laughs> I, I'm in Zupan's a lot. And there are a lot of, like in their pastry department, there's a lot of choices there. But yes. there's, but with yours, you get this little bit of satisfaction of ba- turning on the oven and baking something. But it's nice and warm, and that icing is just right there. Um, you get to it, participate a little bit. Right, you know, I you loved that. That's, yeah, you get to ice it yourself. So you feel like you had a little role in it, which you did. You know, you turned on the oven. You, you made the right choice. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I took the scissors the and I opened it up and I poured <laughs> it on. But I did a really good job. I forgot to. I was going to send you the shot of the way it was plated. It was on a beautiful plate, too. So you got to make those decisions. I mean, you do. You can be a little chefy. I love that about it. <laughs> right. Well, I can't imagine how um, exciting it is for you to. So where are you in the process right now? So you've been out there a little, a little over a year or two years now. Um, That's right. Well, you know, you just reminded me something, Chris, too. I want to back up a little. I remembering too, when you bake it off at home too, you yeah. get full aromatherapy, right? Like, yes. You guys should have that as a benefit. Like aromatherapy, your house smells amazing. Like you have been baking all day and then, you know, there it is. So it just reminded me of that. Right. And I will also say this. It's so simple the way you have it set up, um, especially the next time I do it. I won't have to read the instructions and absorb them. But I mean, you can, this is what I did. We were in the, actually the four of us said, I thought, ooh, I know I got to bake that. I wonder how much time we need. And I went and got it out of the freezer. But that's something where right right before you're having dinner, you don't want to do it, I don't think, right at the beginning of dinner because you don't want that aroma right throughout the whole dinner. But you can yeah. slip away and it's a quick, it's what? If you really knew what you're doing, it's three minutes to put it on the baking sheet and put it in the oven yeah. and get it yeah. going. So yeah. Yeah, the, and if you bake it off too. before your guests get there, then it smells wonderful when they walk in, and then well, you that's true here, too. and you can bake your dinner, you know, and that cools, and yeah, it's it's a pretty easy, 
It's very easy. I mean, we designed it to be very easy. It's about right. as easy well, as it gets. Take now it that I know the founder and the owner, I'm going to probably do better and get a little bit of a timing uh, <laughs> suggestions instead of just relying on my own. This was a quick decision. I had just spoken to you and I said, I got to get one of these cakes for my it. guests. So. I love that you did. That's so great. Oh, it was fun. It was fun. It was fun. So what do you, what's, so how far, how far have you, um, where's your reach now? You're in Portland. You're in the Northwest, right? We're in Portland. Um, Zoopans is one of our best and greatest accounts. We love them. We're also New Seasons Market of Choice, World Foods, those kind of places. Uh, We're in Bend at Newport Avenue Market and the market of choice down there and then we expanded into seattle so we're at met market up there metropolitan market which was felt like a big win and we're talking to pcc in town and country up there so seattle we're kind of already penetrating into and then um, we went to the fancy food show this year which was a big step for us which just happened as you know in january and we went with the food innovation center which is so great we consulted with them a little bit and therefore we're um, eligible to go with their incubator village and so it was a really nice way to just Put, dip our toe into the tra- bigger trade show world. Um, and we made some great connections. And our, our vision was to expand into sort of California and or Texas this year. And so we started to map out who we might expand with and try and make some connections down there. Um, as we're going into distribution too, we're, we're distributed now in um, uh, Seattle and uh, Alexis Foods in Portland, who has been bought by Chef's Warehouse. So we have an opportunity to onboard with Chef's Warehouse, which is a more regional and national distributor. So that's a big step for us too. And you can't be still operating out of your garage. What's going on there? No, production. <laughs> no. no, that was unfortunately short lived because you know, the big issue here is like, where do you keep all the frozen stuff? Right. And I didn't right. have room for a walk-in in my garage. So, <laughs> so we ended up um, building out a facility here. Um, it's an old, it's funny. It was old, one of the old windsurfing, um, uh, sewing places, um, and cleaned out the space and, um, put a massive walk-in in it. <laughs> massive for me. It's like the size of my living room. It's like 20 by, what is it? 20 by 10 or something. So we can build pallets in the walk-in one or two and then store frozen product. Um, so that was a big, big move. We did, we had to, there was no way to store cases of, we you should have seen us trying to like cram cases of product into our little two-door region. So that was a big move. And then, so um, how long are you going to be in there? Because once you get into California right? and it expands and or Texas, then you're going to need a bigger facility, uh, an even I know bigger it. facility. Well, we're hoping to be there at least three years. You know, our goal is to, um, if we, you know, expand, like I think we will in the next few years, you know, like I hope we will. Then we're hoping we'll be there in at least three years. Um, but we'll see, (laughs) you know, as long as you can turn it over quickly and we're actually going to apply for, um, a grant to try and get a blast freezer because that could really, um, change our production as well and speed it up. Right now we freeze things overnight in the walk-in and then package it, you know, the next day or a couple days. So, um, if we could just make the cake, put it in the pans and then blast freeze it. Um, that would really, and then we could put it right into packages. So that would really increase our production. A lot of things you've learned in a couple of years. It's, it's yes, very... I have. <laughs> yep. I have more acronyms in my head now than I've ever had in my life. <laughs> so um, I know that we met through dear Heather. Uh, 
And that's yeah. great. And it makes me think, well, you obviously need support outside of like employees. You need yeah. outside support. So you found, I don't, I don't know if you found Heather at the Good Food uh, show. I didn't, but she was recommended to me by Lisa Herlinger, you know, who started Ruby Jewel. Right. Um, She's a dear friend. She, when I first did my pop, my uh, brick and mortar, she was doing pop ups for Ruby Jewel out here, and that's how we first met. So it was really cool. We've known each other many years. And she's a great and person, she's so. she's doing really well now. She's Ruby doing Jewel. great, and yeah, and she's um she has some she's an awesome resource for me because if she's been in the frozen world, so she, right. she through somebody else she connected me to Heather. Yeah. I'm just going to say, uh, program note, you can look up our interview with Lisa Herlinger, uh, has to be three or four years ago, maybe even more. I, I think it was even longer than that time flies, but we have that, yeah. we have that interview too. So I would imagine you're not at the point, I don't think of needing an ad agency. Will that be an interesting, mm -hmm. uh, or, or have you already done that? What's that? What's <laughs> That's that funny. All about? I, I did just um, hire a local agency to help me with um, website, SEO, and some Instagram stuff. I, you know, I didn't, Instagram didn't exist, you know, when I had my brick and mortar business. Right. So I, you know, it's a whole different, um, it's almost like another job, you know. I am sure other restaurateurs and stuff have similar frustrations around just how much um, input there is in terms of generating content and trying to stay relevant and top of mind for people. Um, and yet it's also this amazing resource that we have. I mean, I remember when I was first contemplating starting this business, I, I started an Instagram account with the old name and I was like, I have a business like 20 years, 20 minutes later, you know, it's just like, it, it's such a powerful tool, but it's also very demanding and it's hard to know what I find difficult is to figure out how to generate awareness with people um, without doing demos constantly because it's just, it's takes up a lot of time, especially as for a product you have to bake off and then cut mm -hmm. into portions and then bring and, and just how to um, get people's attention. So that's what it's kind of all about, right. And get them to try it. Cause I feel like once they try a ghetto, it's, it's really, it's a repeat process, you know, so I think, oh, that was easy and delicious. So let's do that again. <laughs> I'm going to also, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, having you serve it, and I, I don't know if you do all the demos, but having you serve it to people makes it even more delicious because nothing, listen, not that there's anything wrong with it, but I think of the women at Costco who look like yeah. the lunch ladies <laughs> from junior high yeah. school. 100%. And there's, there's a little bit of a difference if you're very, I do almost all my own demos. Just like I said, I really enjoy it. But it is a time, it's a it's a huge time commitment. So I've had um, somebody help me. Um, and she, she runs a great little company locally. And she's, you know, more of a professional. Um, in the, and she does a lot of them at Zupans and stuff like that. So she's she's a great resource when I when I can't do them all myself. But, you know, when you go into Texas, you're not, I'm not going to fly down to Texas and do demos all the time. So, Well, not only that, but, you know, it's kind of like ways. a realtor. You never get your weekends. you got to be out there on weekends, right? Tell that's, me about it. That's my demo time. At the end of December, my 14-year-old was like, Mom, I'd really like to see you. <laughs> well, that's. I think that's awesome. I mean, that's worth starting a company <laughs> yes. just to hear your daughter say that. There's a strategy for teenagers getting to talk to you. I don't. I don't remember either of my kids ever saying, "I want to see." I would love to see more of you. So I think it's more like I want you to cook me dinner and do my dishes. Well, yeah. Okay, there <laughs> you go. Hang out with you. 
There you go. But but you'll awesome. figure. Um, and is she going to help you do demos? Or some, is is, in, is oh, she in line funny. for Everyone that? Everyone asked me that. Everyone asked me that. Oh, doesn't she like to help you in the kitchen? And that's a big no. She because yeah. she doesn't want to do anything that I, you know, kind of really need her to. <laughs> that's how they roll. And I don't like to push her into it. She um she will cook and do her things on her own time and um, right. in her own way. And I just I don't push it on her because it's like the guaranteed rejection, you know. Right. It's like I like hated golf because I was forced yeah. to play when I was younger. That was it. Yeah. And and my kids, uh, they're older now, but they for a long time didn't like even going to restaurants with me where I where I would have to tell them whether I knew people there or not. And if I right. didn't know anybody, that was okay. But if I knew yeah. people and I was gonna be chit chatting while they were eating, oh my God, that was like the worst yeah. thing ever. I know. So, I know it's like so embarrassing. And then also what she has gotten good at though, and I do rely her rely on her for is her palate. Because she actually, you know, we've exposed her I've exposed her to enough food and stuff over time that she really is um she's got a good palate on her. And so I will bring stuff home to her and say, What do you think of this? And so and she'll tell me. Like she's got a great um she's She's willing to express her opinion, <laughs> which is great. Well, that's good. And I'm sure that having you as her mom and her cook, she's <laughs> very fortunate too. So I wanted to, we're, uh, you, we've spent quite a while here and I don't want to keep you too long. I know you're busy, <laughs> but I did want to take the opportunity since you're in Hood River. And I don't know if we've ever asked anybody, had anybody on the podcast to make suggestions for those oh. listening on your favorite, because it's really what I'm all about with my Portland food adventures is having yeah. other people who are in the know make suggestions as opposed to just oh. anything online. So if you have some yeah. of your favorite spots, things, you know, I basically always ask, pose the question as though if you have friends coming in from town, good friends that you care about, where are you going to tell them they have to go, whether you take them or you just send them? Yeah. Well, I guess the first place, and a lot of people might know this one that comes to mind is Solstice Woodfire Cafe. They're down on the waterfront. Um, they, I, you know, they are good friends of mine. I, um, and I just think they do a really solid, nice job and their pizzas are really interesting. They have, and they do it all in a wood fired oven. So it's just, you know, delicious. And they have other entrees too. And they do some gluten free cause the um, owner's wife, well, she's one of the owners, but she's gluten free. So they're a really nice option. Um, and it's right down on the waterfront. So people love that. So I often send people there for sure. They also have, we have gotten that suggestion before, actually, now that I think of it, but yes, this is wonderful. Um, I also, for a bakery, I, a lot of people don't know about this. I don't know if they do or not. Honestly, I'm in the bubble, but white salmon baking company Mm -hmm. is over across the river. Um, that is fantastic. Um, and they also have, they have a brick oven there. It's not wood, but they bake a lot of their breads in the brick oven and their, um, pastry is fantastic. The original owners just recently sold it, but when I, from what I've seen, the quality has remained. So it's excellent. Um, so I highly recommend that too. And it's kind of fun to go over to white salmon. There's also a place over in white salmon is a new little wine bar called Socha. Um, S-O-C-A, and they have a really limited little snacks menu, but a great wine list, a lot of European and Hungarian wines, and really excellent, cute little place, like tiny and just really fun. So if you're over there anyway, I'd say Hitsocha as well. What a nice um, little destination. 
Oh yeah, it's great. And there's a great new bar over there. Like more is happening in White Salmon now called um, Gander and Goose. Or is it Gander and Goose? Yeah, that's a fun little bar. Great cocktails. And they don't have a lot of food. They have these fun little, um, what they call waffles, um, made out of like potato and rice and stuff. Um, but the drinks are great. It's a great little atmosphere. So that's fun on the White Salmon side. And then um, in Hood River, I also really like... Um, um, Stalilo, which is a classic, you know, kind of um, nice technique focused restaurant. They're, they were one of the first um, restaurants here doing really local sourcing. So they're great. They're, what is that nice again? I'm sorry. Stalilo? Stalilo. Stalilo. C-E-L-I-L-O. Oh, Stalilo. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're great, solid, and the services um, service is nice. There's a new higher underwear restaurant here too called Votum. I went there right after they opened, um, so they had a little few kinks to work out, but the food is, was excellent. There's somebody there with some excellent training. Um, so I and their seafood kind of focus, so I'd recommend them Votum V O T U M. There's also a new patisserie here called Adeshki. Um, she's a Hungarian woman that. Um, trained, I think, in the Netherlands. So she has a very European um, approach to her pastries, too. So very That's good. That's the second Hungarian pastry. I know. Place you've, I you've know. Mentioned. How about that? Yeah. I have Hungarian um, background. So I should, if oh, I cared yeah. that much, I'd go yeah. and seek that out. That sounds good. It's great. It's great. And she's open like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I love her for that, too. That <laughs> she can do that. But um, she'll make pastries and really like, um, um, technique focused cakes that I would say so glossy you know kind of European style cakes um, and then you know if you want to go up into the vineyards and stuff uh, or up into the fruit area there's um, Grateful Vineyard up there they're just kind of a fun place to get away to they have an amazing view and they have a place up there now they're a fourth generation orchardist but the gal who um, who's the fourth generation who took it over has expanded they're doing their own ciders and own beer and wine. And they have a wonderful little um, setting up there that you can go out, especially during the warmer times and sit outside and they often have live music. So they're a really nice option too. That is a lot of good (laughs) options. I, I always just make a point to go to, what is it? Promontory point point up there. um, It's got a panorama point. Uh Yeah. Yeah, Panorama point. But there's another. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's probably where it is. Oh, okay. I got to mix it. But I love going up there. And uh, but there's nothing to eat or drink up there. You have to. I'm one who um, would. And I don't know where this fits in because I started going to Double Mountain. I think ten years ago love for Double pizza Mountain. and beer. But, yeah, great. I so, love their pizza, honestly, and their beer is excellent. To their culture is incredible. And uh, yeah, wineries reminds me too. Like Hayu Winery is a really fabulous winery out here now. They're making some of their own. It's H I Y U, and they have an incredible chef on staff too. They do a tasting, like individual tastings with each um, wine glass. Excellent. And Analema is a really nice winery in Mosier. Um, they have an excellent outdoor seating area and really nice whites, especially, but they're also um, getting into reds now. So they're especially good too. And you know, this may sound weird, but our best, best brunch in Hood River is at, I think, at the Hood River Inn, which is a best Western, <laughs> but it is so good. And it has um, seating right on the water and their service is good. You know, they just have got it nailed down. And the guy who is the chef there, I used to work for, he used to have this wonderful little Italian place. Um, 
So their pastas and stuff are good too on their dinner menu. He does a nice job. So wow, unexpected to know. And by the way, you know, best westerns in Europe are can be pretty high end hotels too. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So it's the best western plus. But it's a really nice one, and the dining area, they just, they nail it. They just, they're good at what they do. Yeah, and it's right there great, on the water. It's, he oversees it all. He's great. Yeah. 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 Well, that's good. I mean, you, you've, you've gone, you've done a <laughs> yeoman's job here. Well, of course, uh, don't miss Boda's, Boda's Kitchen, too. So that's the place I used to have, now called Boda's Kitchen. Kind of the same. It's almost like a miniature elephants. So that's a nice place to go in and grab something quick and go, they have rotisserie chickens and, you know, great sandwiches. And she she does some really nice buying, too, for the retail section. So that's a good spot, too. Well, you've just provided someone with a seven-day trip yeah. to Hood River. <laughs> More the better. Uh, you know, you didn't mention coffee, though. Coffee is like a oh, good, I was gonna say, Hood okay, River thing. Well, okay, I'm, I'm pretty particular. So I think stoked coffee has the best is the best in town. Stoked. And I will go out of my way to get it. And they're down at the waterfront too. Okay. Um, they roast their own beans and it's just excellent. Really, really good. But there, there are plenty of coffee shops here, but I think that one is the best. That's why I asked. I know there's a few and I've tried a few. And yeah. have you been, so I, I never liked, it's like the, um, I guess they teach you in law school. Don't ask the question if you don't know the answer. But uh, how is, how's Broder doing there? Oh, Broder's great. I'm glad you mentioned that. I forgot. Yeah, yeah. I love going there for brunch. They had that Swedish board that mm, I just love. Oh, it. good. Yeah. I'm glad you I'm liked just... it because I've learned on this podcast over 10 years, you don't want to put someone in the position to, you know, yeah. just say, say, oh, that oh, sucks. No. Oh, well, no one says that, but they just don't want to say anything. But so I'm glad no, you liked it. I like it. Broder. Yeah, I like Broder. It's a nice atmosphere and it's right in that little. Um, hotel in the corner and I, I i crave their their board sometimes you know where you get a little bit of everything i just love that you know? their lost eggs are fantastic there's a lot that, Very, that's great mm-hmm. yeah they just opened yeah. an astoria too so peter bro has done a great oh, job cool. with that franchise oh, cool. too yeah so. yeah well, you're yeah, making lots, me lots you're of, making me hungry not only for cake but <laughs> to buzz up to hood river and give you a buzz and say let's go get a glass of wine or a cup of Please coffee. Please do. I would love that. Yeah. I love, I, I do love Hood River. I love being here for a number of reasons and um, I love showing people. So please. Yeah, and it is the up. greatest day trip from Portland to get. That's what it I is. used to do all the time with my well, dog, you know make some stops <laughs> on the way at Vanto yes. State Park, right? Go down on the water yep. there. Yeah. And it's just a great And Portland's day trip. a great day trip for me. Right. <laughs> Oh, that works. Well, that's, that's a good thing. So I dated a woman at Hood River that. once. It was it was kind of oh, fun yeah. going, showing yeah. her Portland and having her show me I Hood know. River. So that was fun. Yeah, I love going into the city. It's great. I need it. The city. The city. That's what the San city. Francisco is named. The city. I and, know. Right? And then I think my cousin told me Oakland is the town or something like that, right? <laughs> so probably something. Delineate yeah, like the that. two that way. Who knows? I know. But poor, poor Oakland. But um, well, to me, the only the the real city is San Francisco and Paris. Those are my two favorite. But you know, Portland, I really love. There's nothing. <laughs> it doesn't have quite the same. Cachet. No, I love. You know, Portland's up there. It's got a little like any city, especially San Francisco too, and Seattle. They got some things to work out to, to get to back out, to that yeah. status where you would put them in the same category as Paris. But <laughs> uh, before 
there was Paris in my life, although I had it once. I used to say Charleston, South Carolina, and San Francisco were my favorite cities before I've I moved out west. I've always wanted to go to Charleston. Interesting. Yeah. I've never been there. Yeah, I it's, wanted to go. It's a, definitely a lot smaller, but for a long time when someone said, Where's, who, what are your favorite cities? Those were the two. And then I discovered Montreal and fell in love with that. And when I got to Portland, I thought, Portland reminds me of Montreal. So, oh, um, isn't that interesting? Portland uh, reminds me of Pittsburgh. <laughs> yes, visually, a, a little <laughs> yeah, bit, but Pittsburgh, similar. Pittsburgh's got the hills. Yeah, it does. It absolutely yeah, does. Green hills, tons of bridges. Yeah, right. So Montreal's I, wonderful. Great Lebanese food too. Ooh, so good there. Yeah, yeah Montreal <laughs> was just is fantastic. It's been years since I've been there, but now mm-hmm. now I like Vancouver and all that stuff. So Vancouver anyway, yeah, surprised me. I went there the other day. I was like, wow. Well, Where? Vancouver, BC, but also Vancouver, Washington. I was like, well, I need to get over here more. It's pretty interesting. Oh, it's built. Yeah, it's going on there too. It's doing well. I would suggest anybody listening to this or um, or who hears this, our friend Wendy Bubgardner is the um, you know is our go to source for Vancouver, and I've been oh, watching cool. her Instagram, which is at Loca Voragon. and oh, uh, she's I'll been doing a really out. good job checking out the Vancouver. Oh, yes, I did run into it. Yes. Yeah. Look of Oregon. I remember her now. Yeah. So she's great. And she's she not only does a lot of eating in Portland and around the world, she comes with us. But she's uh, she's been lately a lot of Vancouver. So um, cool. I'll check it out. That's where she lives, too. So. Um, All right. Well, listen. Thank you so much. I'm so glad that uh, I'm trying to remember. I guess I saw Heather's post about you and uh i thought well Lindsay looks interesting let's uh see if we can get her on the podcast so oh it's nice it was to so have... fun for me chris thank yeah. you i hope it was it was fun for me i have the Absolutely. sun blasting in on me now so i'm very rarely looking into the camera but well, enjoy um, it you know it's a lot grayer in hood river in the winter so <laughs> uh like, it's pretty I'd gray like here this is this is the yeah. first, right before I got on, we we opened up the mics here. I contacted my three o'clock appointment and asked if we could move it because it's sunny here and I want to, I need some, I need to get out and get a little sun. So do um, it. Yeah. Go get blinded by the sun. We all need that right now. <laughs> great. Well, thank you. It's great. And it's uh, nice to have a friend in Hood River. And um, yes, I, please do. Please look so up. before we go, we need yeah. to tell everybody where we already did. So start with Zupans, capital Z, Zupans, market of choice, new seasons, and uh, where else? Uh, World Foods on Everett. Okay. What about World Foods over on Barber? That's near where we- Well, they're a little short on freezer space, so we're hoping for that pretty soon, but- um, Oh, forget that. Just go to Zupans. That's what I said. Just forget (laughs) all of them. Just go to Zupans. And then um, also finding you on Instagram. How do we do that? Yeah. So Gato, it's a lot of vowels in there. G-A-T-E-A-U-X underscore frozen for foodies. Oh, frozen for foodie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Who got the gateau? That's what I want to know. Who 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 jumped on that early in the Instagram days? Um, but <laughs> right. get, but so if you put 
I would imagine if you put Gateau Frozen in the search, you're going to come up. That's going to come up. So that's good. It's a good question. Honestly, I'm not 100% sure, but I know if you put Gateau underscore Frozen for foodies, you'll get there. <laughs> okay. And also uh, website. Yeah. So we're Gateau.co. Also okay. because somebody got Gateau.com before us. And, you know, I kind of like the .co. feels a little more. I don't know. Yeah, European but you maybe. almost have to. You almost have to reiterate. There's no, you know, when you send it to people, don't. It is supposed mm -hmm. to be .co. Yeah. So, yeah, I was yeah. I I went to both first, I think, but uh -huh. yeah. But I hope people try it, and you know, I always feel like if someone's got to make a little extra effort to get to something, that's even better because they really want it. Then, so and well, anybody. Anybody who tries your cakes, they're going to really want it. So I say try it oh, once thanks. and then go from there. Thanks, Chris. I'm so glad you love them. I I still do. I still serve them all the time and eat too much cake. But <laughs> I've got a lot of it in my life, as you can imagine. But <laughs> I would imagine you got to watch it a if little bit. I still bit, enjoy but... it at this point. I feel like it's a good sign. <laughs> right. And I and I I resonated with when you said it's – you know, it's for people who don't have, uh, aren't looking for things that are f this free and that free. Yeah, there's a there's a whole world out there that isn't looking for that too. So yeah, yeah, you don't have right. to be you don't have to be everything to everybody. You have to be something delicious for lots of people, and that's what you have. So yeah, we've stayed really true to who we are. You know, that's yeah. that's what we do, and you know. And that that goes back to all the suggestions you must have gotten. Oh, you should make a gluten-free oh, yeah. version of this. And yeah, okay. Well, you know, someday we probably will do something gluten-free, but almost like by an accident. You know, like we're, it, it's more like okay, it's a flourless chocolate cake or something like that. You right. know, but um, but I I respect people who are you know innovating so much in that realm. It's just not my realm, and that's okay. Right, and it's really hard to do delicious baked goods. It is. Free. So They're getting better you're and better. Decide but... to do that. So do what you're good at, and then that's right. yeah, you you'll stumble upon something, and then be able to say, "We now have gluten free this." So yeah, good. Yeah. yeah. All right. That's what we do. We we'll just do what we're good at. <laughs> Listen. Thank you so much. We thank really you, appreciate Chris. it. And um, it's been a pleasure. And uh, look forward to uh, sharing your story with everybody. Thanks. Thanks so much. Yeah. Take care. You too. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Right